0: You're listening to an audio message from the well a gospel-centered church family in hastings nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify god for more information please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I, I i'm so grateful for the opportunity to come and share with you again and uh it's a great honor and a privilege to do that and as i I was invited to come and talk about a specific subject, I I thought about how that fits into my life a little bit, and and then I started realizing that modern people don't like to be dependent on each other. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, I I heard a story about this couple, they were sitting on the couch one night and and, and watching TV, you know, as couples do, and all of a sudden, the husband just blurs out suddenly, he goes, I just want you to know, honey. I I don't wanna live life dependent on a machine and fluids from a bottle. If that happens to me, you better go and pull the plug. And she instantly stands up and goes and pulls the plug on the TV and goes dumps all his beer out. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but we, we major in independence as a culture, right? We don't like to be needing other people to take care of us or uh, support us. We don't like to be even defined by other groups of people around us. We like to be independent. Dependence sounds like weakness. It sounds like a deficiency in someone. For the most part, people enjoy and even take pride in their autonomy, right? I'm proud to it. I'm independent. I don't need to rely on anything and anyone else. And when a reader begins to read through the Bible and they come to passages like the one that we're going to share today, uh, a lot of times we enjoy the picture of a harmonious community of God, right? And, but ultimately, we don't want that kind of dependence or interdependence at the expense of our independence. We might wish to have community. We might actually say, I really wanna have community, but the only thing that we're unwilling to pay to have that kind of community is our autonomy. If we look at the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, uh, we see a, a church that is divided, so if you've got your Bibles, grab it and start heading towards 1 Corinthians, because we're going to be there. But I want to kind of lay the groundwork for this book as well. You see, as, as we look at 1 Corinthians, we see a church that's really divided. A church that's divided and functioning. It's a lot like a lot of churches that we might see today in the world. They're poorly functioning, powerless. Some people would say they're disgraced rather than exalting and bringing glory to jesus that's what people from the outside looking in might say paul's words to the church at corinth they seem to focus on the division if if you were to look at chapter one you see that in in verse 13 i'm sorry in verse 12 chapter one it says what I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Or I follow, you know, the pious people. I follow Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? I mean, we keep looking at this book, and and he says, well, he talks about all their division. If you go to chapter 3, he says something very similar. In verse 5, or in verse 4, that's where he starts this. He says, when one says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Are we not merely human? Wow. And then he goes on in chapters 4 through 9, and he starts pointing out all of the causes of their disunity and their division. Paul... However, in chapter 2, really does an amazing thing. I I love the way he he points us to the focus of what this whole letter is all about. A letter about exalting Christ foremost. Because he says in chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the focus of this letter. I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Lord, may you be glorified and may Christ be exalted as we share this letter for the church of today, as much as it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It is a message that resonates, I think, with my heart and maybe others in this room, as we think about a church and what we truly need to be, a group of people who exalt Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Now, I I wanna kinda start with a little picture I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this. I've seen this done before, so I apologize if I'm showing you a a goofy thing that you've all seen before. But I love pictures, and if I could draw you a picture, I would do that. So I'm just going to show you what 1 Corinthians is all about, okay? Kind of give you an overview, a presentation of that. And, And so 1 Corinthians is about people like you. So this is you, all right? I could, like, because this church has got a lot of bearded guys, so let's put a little beard on there. <laughs> but this is us, right? And, and the Bible says that when we trust Jesus Christ, like in Colossians 1.27 that when we trust Christ, Christ is in us, right? I spelled it right, good. That's one of my greatest fears when I do things like this, that I'll misspell a really important word like Christ, right? (laughs) Put God with like two O's or something. Good. And so, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, that when we trust Jesus, Christ in us, glory forever, right? So, as a Christian, that's what you are. Christ in us, our hope and glory. But then, in Corinthians, it goes one step further, because in This book, I'll make sure I get the right verse. Verse 30, it says this. For and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So not only is Christ in you, hope and glory forever and ever and amen, right? But here's what really gets cool. So you got Christ in you, Christian, but... Also, Christ, now I can't get the lid off. Urgh. You are in Christ. That's who you are, Christian. You are in Christ, right? Isn't this kind of cool? No matter what happens in your life, you know what? The devil can't get you because you got Christ in you, and Christ, you are in Christ, brothers and sisters. So no matter what the world throws at you, Corinthians tells us that we, are, we have Christ in us, and we are in him. We are secure forever and ever, and amen. But then, but then Corinthians tells us in chapter 6, It says this. It's really cool. Think about this. It tells us because we are in Christ, we are the temple of God. Amen? Am I right? Do you know the verse? Chapter 6, verse 19. Yeah, that's it. It says that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of Christ being in you. Isn't that cool? Now, go to the next slide. Because this is really cool. Oh, I didn't even show you these. These are my last trip to Corinth. So this is what Corinth looks like today. Keep going. It's a real place. I was under, I guess I wasn't as impressed. It's just a bunch of ruins. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what happens to a church that's divided. It kind of falls apart. Go to the next slide. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says something really interesting that we ought to catch. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple? So chapter six, verse 19 says the same kind of thing, but here it's really cool because it says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? But go to the next slide. (laughs) But these you's in this verse are not singular, they are plural. And so, he's talking to the church. And so, when he says, do you not know you are a temple, he is talking not about an individual He is talking about a bunch of people who are the temple of God together. Does that make sense? We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And right here, he makes it so clear that not only is Christ in us, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And then he says that together we are the temple. Together we are the outworking of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in all of us together. Christ in us. Jesus loves his church. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves his church. And we should love church. Our church. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians that Christ is you. As the church, Christ is in us. You get it? You on the same page with me? You guys following? Can you say that with me? Christ is in us. Come on, do it with a little more enthusiasm. So I know that you understand what I'm saying. Christ is in us. Amen? He's in all of us. That's our identity as the body of Christ, as believers individually. And then he digs deeper into it in chapter 12, the passage that we want to focus on this morning. So if you don't have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, you're behind. Okay? So we should be in chapter 12 right now. Because Paul tells the church that the church exists to exalt Jesus. Go to the next slide. That's why we're here, to make much of the savior. In this passage, Paul tells the church that that's why we exist, to exalt Christ. And when we live like the body of Christ, as he intended us to be, the the church exalts Christ by being interdependent. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. How many times did he use the word body there? I see three fingers up here. Does everybody agree with him? Three times. In chapter 12, he mentions members twice. Twice. If you read to the very end of this chapter, he talks about the body, members, and parts, parts, 36 times in different times and different places. And the whole passage is about the church being the body of Christ made up of individual followers of Christ, being members of the body, Christ is in us. Us. He's in us. You catching that? And so he's telling us here, he's using a metaphor. You guys know what a metaphor is, right? It's like a picture kind of thing, an illustration and he builds a picture or a case for the beauty of Christ. He introduces it here in verse 12. So he introduces it here in this very first verse, and then he reiterates it toward the bottom of the chapter, because he says in verse 27, you following me? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I'm gonna tell you, the church does not function as a collection of separate individuals if it's functioning right. The church does not function as a democracy. There is no 51, 49% votes. There are no hanging chads. It does not split along party lines. There are no Republicans and no Democrats and there's no independents. It is far more vitally connected than anything else, the church Functions when it functions rightly as a body. Every part of the body. I mean, I'm going to take his, his illustration here and put some legs on it. Oops, I guess he already did that. And it works seamlessly, right? Do you remember the last time you were wandering around in the dark in your house with the lights off and you stubbed your toe? I do it in the daytime. <laughs> I was on my I have a little sailboat and I was on my sailboat and and the wind was coming, so I had to run up to the front and I'm always barefoot on my boat. And I run up toward the front and I catch hold of a downstay with my little t- I thought about going barefoot to this morning, but I thought you might think it was weird. Just to show you, I think I broke one of my toes. It hurts so bad, you know what I instantly did? I instant, without thinking about anything, I stubbed my toe, I reached down and I go, ow, without thinking about it. And then my eyes started looking around without thinking about it to see who might have seen me because I was, <laughs> and wondering what did I say and will anyone remember, right? Amen? Is that you? All of that happened seamlessly. I didn't have to think about any of that, right? Have you ever, am I the only one who's ever stubbed their toe? You guys can relate, right? And, and, and here I am doing this, and it's amazing to, for me to think about how the body works together. There, there are no individual decisions in your body. The body reacts as a whole. I mean, when I hit my toe, my eyes literally started watering. That's how much it hurt. I didn't try to cry. It just started crying. And it's, it's not as though some certain members of our body can opt out. It wasn't like I was sitting there on my boat and this arm said, well, I just don't really feel like it today. And I, I'm like trying to figure out how to do this with one hand because this one opted out. Or another part of my body didn't say, well, you know, I really don't like the foot today, or his decision to run into that downstay, so I'm just not gonna connect with this project, right? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the way it works. The body just instantly goes to it, right, when it's working properly. And in this passage, there's also a comparison Just as you have a body made up of many members, so you have Jesus Christ. And Christ is like a body made up of many members. Do I need to tell you this is just a metaphor? Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say there? Jesus is God, the church is not. Does that make sense? It's a metaphor. It's not a perfect picture. You can't interchange. The church is not God. But God is telling us that Jesus identifies with his followers, that he calls them members of his body. And I want you to think about the word picture that Paul draws for us. Do you identify with the pieces, parts on your body? Do you identify with your hand? Do you identify with your ears? Do you identify with your eyes, your nose, maybe more than you want to with allergies right now, right? I identify with this, right? And I'm not always happy about the fact that I identify with my nose and my eyes when allergy season comes, but I do. So do you identify with the people sitting next to you that way too? these are your arms, these are your legs, these are your ears, these are your eyes, these are your parts. And Jesus says, that's how I view you. You're a part, you're a member of me, Paul says, of Jesus. And I'm united to you, and we are, the church, are called to exalt Christ by being interdependent, as hard as that might be. But then he takes it a step further. Look at verse 13. He says, For we were all baptized into one spirit, into one, by one spirit, into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body, right? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of it saying this, it still belongs to the body, right? You following what Paul's saying? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. Just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. And you go to the next two slides because I've got those two outline points here. I want you to see that. We are the church when we're interdependent. We're also the church when we are a diverse community. Do you see that? Paul leads with cultural diversity. Do you catch that? I mean, he says, Jews, Greeks, the body is made up of all nations. You follow? According to the passage, the body is diverse. Toes are unlike eyes or ears, and ears are unlike elbows. I'm not sure if you're following. Are you there? <laughs> I mean, their diversity is not a problem. It's okay if my elbow's rough and my eye sees okay because that's the way God made me. And it's not a problem for unity because it's necessary. I need an elbow to function. The body could not function as it does if there were a 100 eyeballs here today, if there were a 100 elbows here today. And Paul wants the members to see themselves as naturally tied to one another, like the various members of a human body the illustration Paul uses is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, right? If a foot should say, well, I'm not a part of the body. Isn't that kind of ridiculous? The foot would never say that. And I think he means it as a ridiculous statement because you know your foot's not going to take the day off and then come back a day later. But that's what he wants you to see. The beauty interdependence is grounded in the reality that each member is indispensable. Does that make sense? Paul says in verse 22, if you're following along, in verse 22, I'm in the wrong. I just turned too many pages there. Sorry about that. In verse 22, he says, On the the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. (laughs) You see, even the weakest members of the body, by the way, he's probably referring to sensitive internal organs one commentary i read said he might have been talking about our privates i mean we cover them up but i'll tell you what we ain't getting where anywhere as a culture if we hadn't didn't have our privates right i mean there would be no uh, the 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 whole human race would end quickly without that part of us right and paul is saying They're indispensable, even if we don't show them out, weirdly. But you know they're important. You know they are, right? They're indispensable. And I think, folks, I think many in the body of Christ need to hear that. They need to hear, you are important, and you are indispensable and I can't live without you and I'm not gonna use you and abuse you. You are not important to the church because of what you do at church. You're important because we're interdependent and we need to be. Does that make sense? Every member needs to be valued And we need to appreciate and honor every member, despite what they do or don't do at church. Because we live in a culture that does just that. We use people, and then we dispose of that relationship. That's what our culture does. And the church must be different, Paul says. It must be different. Can you imagine a hospital without a cleaning crew? (laughs) I don't want to go to that one. My wife's a nurse, and so I I was thinking about this illustration, and I said, honey, tell me, what do you think the most important person at the hospital is? You know what she said? Well, the nurses, of course. (laughs) I was really, I was kind of surprised, but not surprised, right? So we asked a doctor. And he said, oh, of course nurses. My wife felt so self-justified, right? But we often think about the doctors, right? They're like, duh. I mean, I'm gonna go to this hospital because this doctor's there. But I'll tell you what, if we knew that it wasn't cleaned that day and we were having surgery, it'd be the last time I go because those people are important. Every part of the team at a hospital is so important to every other part of the team It takes anyone, you take any one of that group out of the the equation and the hospital doesn't run right, whether it's an administrator or a nurse or a cleaning person. And the church is not a hospital. There's actually a lot less hierarchy, but we are entirely interdependent on one another which is seen in that every single member is important and indispensable. God puts all the parts together, did you notice that? Just as he wanted them. The church belongs to God, it's his, it's beautiful. Now I want you to remember the context of this passage. Do you know what happens in chapter 12, verse one? He starts talking about spiritual gifts. Did you notice that? Concerning the spiritual gifts or spiritual people. (laughs) And I think it's kind of interesting that he does that. He starts this and he says every single member of the church, God gives spiritual gifts to every single one of them, to every follower of Jesus. Not all of those gifts, he says, are the same. And not all of those gifts are perceived the same way. In the original language for gifts, for this word, spiritual gifts, it comes from the word charismata. And you guys probably know charisma, right? Charisma means grace. And ma means gift. And so what we have here are grace gifts. God gives them graciously. The word picture is beautiful because you see God in his creativity has given unique expressions of his Holy Spirit, grace, his grace to different people, all of them necessary, all of them beautiful when they work together in the body of Christ. They shine for all the world, isn't that beautiful? Different people from different backgrounds, from different perspectives. Do you remember chapter 12, verse 12? Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. With varying expressions of God's grace in their lives, all coming together as one body. And that's where their beauty shines. Not because they're all alike, but because they're all different, and they're all part of one body, and they are all with one spirit. Please think about all the people in this room. Yeah, it's okay to look at them. Think about all the people in this room. Think about all the people who are not here, for whatever reason this is your faith family. These are the people that God placed you in. And there's beauty there. There's uniqueness there. Each of you is unique and God has placed you here for his glory and to exalt Jesus. Amen? You guys following me? (laughs) I, I, I I thought this would get you guys excited a little bit here, because this is good stuff to me. I'm like, yes, God put me here and you here for a reason, to glorify God, to shine here in Hastings. The beauty and diversity of this church is amazing. I mean, think about it. God placed you to be glorious in Hastings, Nebraska, And all across the world to make Jesus known, to make Jesus shine, you have heard the saying, they will know you are Christians by our love. And Jesus is exalted when you express your giftedness, inside and outside the church, and you care for one another, and you proclaim the gospel in your community together. One last point. So I'm almost done with you. You see, the church exalts Christ by being focused on the mission. Because that's where Paul takes us here. He says, he says in verse 24, but God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffers together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, if it were so, right? If this were not so. You see, you are more than one person, and the mission exists beyond the individual. The church is on mission to care for one another in a world that's inescapably broken, and you know it is, right? God put us here for a purpose. And this is the picture of a people bound together that they experience their highs and their lows together, almost like they're wearing each other's shoes. Now, I I know for most of you, my shoes would be okay, but for some of you, your shoes are smaller and I could never get in them, sorry. (laughs) But it's almost like we could. That's what it should be like. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. This is amazing. But do you see what's n- what's missing in this picture? Jealousy and envy. Many people around us need the good news. They need the gospel. and And yet... While they're in need of the gospel, people are in churches all around the United States. And they're fighting and they're arguing about stuff at the building. Or some other issue in Western culture, right? I think we need to stop thinking about ourselves. Division and complacency are not God's design for the body of Christ. God has given the church supernatural gifts, supernatural power. This is getting good, isn't it? Because that's exactly what he tells us here in chapter 12. He has given you supernatural gifts and supernatural powers. And then he reiterates it in verses 27 and 30 of chapter 12 because he starts to list He says, now you are the body of Christ, individual members of it, and God has appointed in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Wow. Wow. Kind of supernatural, right? Amazing. Now, we don't have time to dive into all that means today. I will leave the survey of spiritual gifts to Pastor Joe. If you have questions, ask him. I just want you to get an overview. Kind of get a feel for what he's trying to say here. You see, God has given apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, and tongues. A wide variety of gifts, right? I mean, they're everywhere. And they're not all the same, but all of them are joined together for the purpose of demonstrating Christ and his love, the good news of who he is and what he has done for us. The gospel. Do you see the, the gifts being needed for the sharing of the gospel here? A world that is desperately in need of good news Friends, you have who are desperately in need of some good news. They need a group of people who are growing to be more like Christ. They need a group of people who are using their grace gifts, their time, their talent, their treasure to exalt Jesus. God brings this all together, different parts, and he puts them in an arrangement where where there is mutual love, where there's service, where there's benefit for the entire body of Christ. But to the extent that there is failure to see the necessity of the diversity of gifts in the body, to the extent that others will be viewed as dispensable or expendable, we miss out on God's amazing design for the body of Christ and even humanity. Because the only way our culture will know God's goodness is when the church is good. (laughs) They mirror us. Sometimes people are interested because we've been hurt in the past. We want to protect ourselves, right? We want self-care. In fact, I think a lot of culture now tells us, you know, you just... Self care, self care, self care. Do what's best for you, right? But when we do that, we're unable to fulfill our role in the body of mutual care. There, there, there is a requirement of a little risk of being hurt. But sharing in the suffering of others can honestly feel way too costly. I don't want to expend that energy, that money, that time. It hurts. I've been hurt before, and I don't want to be hurt again, right? And then sometimes people's grace gifts become an occasion for puffing themselves up. Look how good I am. Or a competition, something to divide us more. If an individual is all about me care rather than mutual care, as his gifts become a, a, a tool for distinguishing themselves. Look how good a speaker Dallas is. Wow, yay. That's why I always underperform. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Sorry about that. But you see, our gifts become a thing that divides us sometimes if it's not used for self for body edification. In these ways, the church often becomes a mirror, and I said that before, a mirror image of the culture around them. So, we have to be honest with ourselves. Are we reflecting Jesus' church or reflecting the culture around us? In valuing intellect, Has there been an undervaluing of other people's hearts? In valuing excellence, has there been an undervaluing of simplicity? Yesterday, some of us went to a a, 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 a meeting and and I heard this wonderful slogan, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing bad. (laughs) I thought that was great. Because we are so worried about excellence, do we forget about anybody else and their ability to try? Give them a chance. Let them fail. We learn more by failure than we do by being perfect at it. Have the grace gifts of some people been overlooked because we overvalue other people's grace gifts? Have we viewed people in our small groups as frankly dispendable? Have we become more interested in creating our ease and lost sight of God's design? Are we more concerned with self-care than we are mutual care? The answer to these questions might be yes. So I wanna ask is there hope for our community being transformed to reflect the beauty and the interdependence that God has designed us to be? I think that's why Paul wrote the letter to say, yes, we can be what God has called us to be. You see, Christ could have viewed sinners as expendable and dispensable, but he, in his grace, saw them as indispensable. No one has earned their way into heaven. Even if we falsely say, I'm dispensable, you notice how I said falsely say it? You know what? Jesus said, That's not true. Because the most presentable part of the church, the head, he presented himself. Sorry, I don't know why I'm getting choked up about this, but it's amazing, isn't it? The most presentable part of the church offered himself up willingly to dishonor so that we would be honored. when we realize just what Jesus did for us, it leads us to worship him, to grow in our faith, to steward all that God has designed us to be, to focus on the mission, and we will love the brothers and sisters in Christ with mutual care, remember, this morning, how indispensable you are. Remember that. He has put you in the body for His glory to carry out His mission of exalting Jesus. And you know what? The the well is an amazing church. Amen? It does amazing things. You guys exemplify so much of what God has called you to be and designed you for. But let me ask you this. Are you doing what God designed you to be in the body of Christ today? If not, isn't it time for you to kind of get back in the game, or maybe kick up your game to the next level to get involved in what God is already doing right here in the body of Christ. And maybe some of you are here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're sitting here kind of exploring what Christianity means, and you're hoping that you found it in this body. Well, I want to encourage you that God loves you, first of all and he loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sins, and all you have to do is repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. All of us are sinners, the Bible says. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one to his own way, but God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for that reason, and God invites you to trust Jesus Christ today and become a part of the body of Christ and him and him in you. Together to become a part of a people like, unlike anything else in this world, the body of Christ. He is calling us to be just that, to trust Jesus with one more area of our life today. Let us pray. Father, today, if there's one person here who hasn't trusted Jesus, I invite them to pray that, that they would turn from sin, turn to you, that they would confess I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And today I want you, and I want to be a part of the church. For those of us who are here who have claimed that to be true for ourselves. Thank you for the undeserved privilege, the indescribable honor of being a member of the body of Christ. It overwhelms me, God. We should be in hell right now, but here we are celebrating your life in us and the opportunity to be the body of Christ joined together in you a temple of your Holy Spirit together as the body of Christ. Oh God, we love Jesus. We love you. We worship you, Jesus. We exalt you, Jesus. You're the head of the church. Thank you for your word. We love your word and we love what it's shared with us today. We need community and we need one another. Keep us from division in the body that we might care for one another. Make us the church you've arranged us and designed us to be for our good, but for your glory and for your exaltation. Oh Lord, may we be the church that spreads your word with the world and shares this gospel. We carry out your mission that your ch- church may exalt Jesus. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.